Hello and welcome to Finding Frederick, a weekly podcast that explores the history, people, and stories of Frederick, Maryland. I'm your host, Lisa Littlefield, and thanks for joining me in some conversations with friends and history buffs like you and me. Today I'm exploring the home of one of Frederick's and the state of Maryland's founding citizens, Thomas Johnson. He was a Revolutionary War leader, friend of George Washington's, and the first governor of the state of Maryland from 1777 to 1779. I'm meeting my guest, Amanda Venable, on the stately steps of Rose Hill Manor, Johnson's home during the latter part of his life. Venable manages the home, associated buildings, and the property that surrounds this historic house museum. Thank you for being with us on Finding Frederick today. Can you tell me just a little bit about how you came to be in this fascinating role? I went to college to be a history teacher, and I, part-time in college, came to Rosehill. I'm from the Frederick area, and so when I would come back in the summers, started working summer camps, and then I worked here for 12 years part-time, and meanwhile, for the last nine years, was in the school system as a his secondary history teacher, and then this role opened up, and so I applied for it, and and took that position. Tell me a little bit about Rose Hill. What is this place and what are the components that make it up? So it's a little more complex, I think, than most people think about it. It's famous for being the one like public standing house that the governor Thomas Johnson lived in. He was the first governor of Maryland. But it also has a history of the property from 1748 when German immigrants first bought the land all the way until the 1960s when the county owned it. And it was privately owned in that whole 200 year span. So in terms of our interpretation, we interpret all of the different families and all of the different people in the on the property in that um, 200 years. Tell me a little bit about the time when the governor would have lived here and what this house might have been like. During the pandemic, we did a lot more research because we didn't have you know, daily walk-in tours and field trips that were taking up most of our time. So we started doing more research and really finding out that this house was packed with people when the governor lived here. He came somewhere between 1800 and 1801. His daughter, Anne and John, um, had built the house and he came and lived with them. He was in his 80s by that point. They had two um, children of their own. And then um, Anne's brother Thomas and his second wife had died in the 18, in about 1806. The, their three children came and lived at Rose Hill as well. And then two of Anne's siblings who were not married, one a sister and one a brother, here at, at that point. So at one point in this house, there were 20 people living, which it's a giant house, but there are the way that we would like think of a house versus the way that they would think of their house and the, and the layout are much different. And so every room probably had mul- multiple people living or like sleeping in it and things like that. So it was definitely a busy, lots of children, lots of noise type of house. Real family home, mm-hmm. right? right? Yes. You mentioned that the, the uh, layout of the house is a little bit different than a modern home would be. Tell me a little bit about the rooms that are in the sure. house. So we have a main hallway entryway that provides that breeze and light to the house. And then from that, there are two main rooms on the first floor, the parlor and the dining room with a kitchen attached to the side of the dining room. And then upstairs, there are four bedrooms 
And then above the kitchen is a space that was most likely where the enslaved were um, living that were in the house. And then the attic level also has three rooms that with 20 people in it were sure people were living in there. Probably some of the children, you know, some of the teenage girls probably had a great great space to live in. (laughs) Now you mentioned the kitchen. I have to Mm -hmm. ask about the kitchen. It's got a great aroma of it when you walk in. It smells like an open hearth. Mm -hmm. Tell me about that kitchen and how it's used today and how it might have been used in the past. Yeah, so kitchen I would say is probably, besides maybe the parlor, I think guests' favorite space. Like you said, it still has an aroma because we do cook on it pretty frequently. So it has that uh, smell and it's amazing when the hearth is going, you can smell it on the whole property. Which when you think about then what it's probably smelled like with that hearth and every fireplace in this house going, it probably was a very different smell than we're used to living in. But that kitchen uh, today is interpreted as the kitchen during Thomas Johnson and Ann and John Graham's stay here for the most part. And so uh, it focuses a lot on the instruments that you would use. So we, for kids, we like to point out like the toaster and the how they use the iron hooks to regulate the temperature on the hearth and the, t- the cooking time and things like that. It also was the main heart of this house. So everything that was happening um, was happening there. You would have multiple enslaved people cooking all day long to just feed 20 people in this house. <laughs> the laundry was probably done out of the kitchen as well because you have to heat up that water on the hearth and then even if it's done outside you know, you've got that bustle in and out so it was probably the busiest place um, on this property at all times so still the kitchen remains the heart yes of, yeah of, right? <laughs> now from the kitchen you walk into this beautiful blue room and tell mm-hmm. me a little bit about that room that's the dining room we have two interpretations right now in it so the first part is the regular dining table set with foods that would have been locally either at Rose Hill or in the surrounding area, grown, raised, and eaten, based on some research, you know, research and, and archaeological research as well um, on the property. And then the second half of the dining room is actually set up like a tea room um, because in the 1920s, Rose Hill was operated as a tea room and inn by two sisters uh, from the 1920s into the 1930s. So we have that half of the dining room room set up like that to talk about tea rooms and, and what was going on here then. And we're sitting in what appears to be a music room or a, a morning room of type. Mm-hmm. Yeah, type. so we call this the parlor um, and it's probably maybe besides the obviously the kitchen and the dining room a little bit is one of the rooms that probably looked the most similar through the course of history. Just different styles of furniture, what you know was popular and trendy at, at different times. But yeah, so this is the parlor, and in it we have different entertainments that people would have entertained their guests with. So Thomas Johnson's brother, Joshua, his daughter was Louisa Catherine Adams, who was the wife of John Quincy Adams, our sixth president. And so we know both of them came to Rose Hill several times. So we talk about what it would have been like to have them as guests. She was very famous for her harp playing. Um, and so, you know, that ties in some of that music element. We have the piano in here as well. And then for the hands-on part for the kids, we have lots of instruments that they get to play in. And then we also talk about the musical influences in our history from, that would have come from the enslaved people that were at Rose Hill and, and in our country in general too. 
Can people see other areas of the house? Yes, so all of our upstairs rooms are also open. And instead of just having four bedrooms, like set as bedrooms, we decided to go through the timeline of the house upstairs more so. So the first room is set up like Thomas Johnson's office. It has a lot of family artifacts, talks about Thomas Johnson and his many contributions to the founding of our country, as well as the enslaved people who really made it possible that he had the money and the clout to do any of that. Then we have the grand bedroom that's set up as like an 1820s, 1830s bedroom. We talk about health and hygiene. You know, the kids love to look at all the things like the chamber pots and <laughs> and things like that. And then we have a children's bedroom that has a lot of the toys that the kids would have played. It's also set up as our Civil War era room. So we talk about the fam- the Thomas family that lived here during the Civil War and, and things like that. And then the last room is set up like the Reynolds sisters who operated the tea room, what one of their tea room bedrooms might have looked like. So appropriate era furniture and things like that. Wow, so people can really see the full house and get a sense of the full history. Yes, yeah. That's wonderful. The house, it seems like it is very visitor friendly. It seems like so many places you go is everything is kind of cordoned off, but this seems very open and yes. uh, that you can really immerse yourself. Yeah, so um, when visitors come in, the first thing I say is, you know, make yourself at home. Any piece of furniture, if it's not behind a rope, feel free to sit in it and that really takes people back because they're like what and and feel free to touch and play with and explore any of our items uh, again as long as they're not behind a rope and I think we have three sections of rope in the entire house and most of those are protecting either some things that are irreplaceable or family items so tell me a little bit about that outside of the house it's really impressive when you drive up the architecture is seems very classical Yes, so it's a Georgian style. Uh, it was built approximately around 1792, as, as close as we could get that date. And so, yeah, reflecting that notion across the country of going back to classical times and the founding of our government and those, you know, ideals and democracy and things that were important. We do know that the drive at one point went all the way down to almost 13th Street through from the front of the house. Today, you access it from North Market Street and then you come up the side. And that road was actually installed really early in the 1960s. So the main road went very far. That area was like a wooded lane that you approached the house. And when you go down some of these streets, you can kind of look up at Rose Hill, you can kind of see it where it does look like it's up on the hill and has that kind of grand entrance look to it for sure. I was going to ask, where did the name come from? They had, rose, they had roses here um, for many, many years years. Peter Hoffman, who is the German immigrant who first bought the land, he called it Rose Garden. And then we have never figured out exactly why, but eventually the title starts becoming Rose Hill. You know, we know it's on a hill and it, you can see that it's on a hill, but we don't know what made them change it from garden to hill, if it just sounded maybe grander or something. We do have um, some outbuildings as well. Um, so we have a carriage museum that has 25 historic carriages in it that is really fun to see and is a a favorite of visitors as well we have a reproduction blacksmith shop so we talk a lot about ironwork thomas johnson was involved in ironwork and then we do have a 1850s log cabin that was moved to the property that represents the original log cabin that the germans lived in and then was later a slave quarter on the property as well so those three spaces are always open on when our hours are open they are open for visitors to walk through so those spaces are going to be also have an ice house on property and we have more 
more buildings um, in the work hopefully in the next few years so you've mentioned several times the enslaved people that were on the mm -hmm. property and it seems like there's a real effort to tell the story of those individuals as well yes I think it's you know our mission is to interpret the lives of every person that lived on this property and for a long time the enslaved were not part of that narrative and in the last I would say five to ten years you know my boss who's museum manager before me really started that initiative and then again during the pandemic it afforded us to do extra research to really start tracing who was living here because the documents for enslaved people is, is so limited compared to you know their enslavers at the time and things like that so that research has really taken us a very long time but now we have the ability to, in every room, talk about who was actually doing the work in the room, right? So who is, you know, Daniel is at the dining room table serving them. Holly and Eliza are the ones that are at the kitchen cooking. And so I think that really helps everybody understand the true dynamic of this house and our, and our real history. Was it a work beyond the Rose development and Rose Garden? Was it a working farm as, mm -hmm. as well? Today, the park is... Uh, 40 acres, uh, but at one point it was almost 400. So yeah, we had a mainly wheat, rye, a little bit of tobacco. Common crops. Of yeah, the exactly. <laughs> is Thomas Johnson known for anything? I, of course, his role as the developer of Maryland and that kind of thing. Uh, is there any kind of interesting tidbit that we would want to know about him? So he has a couple weird claims to fame that people don't know. He has the shortest tenure on the Supreme Court ever. It's never been beat. Nine months or so. He never wanted to be on it. And we have several documents where he keeps saying, I don't want to do it. And George Washington basically made him um, as a close <laughs> acquaintance or, you know, not, not fully friend, I don't think, but a, a respected colleague. Um, he uh, also tried to get him to be Secretary of State at one point, And he was like, no, I'm not doing that. But yeah, so he has the, the, the shortest tenure as Supreme Court Justice and the first written opinion in a case that literally made not important at all but it's just technically the first time a supreme court opinion was ever written down um so that was not very well known um we just learned very recently the massachusetts historical society has been digitizing john quincy adams diaries and so we just learned like two weeks ago that thomas johnson at rose hill liked to similar to jefferson in washington a lot with agriculture and horticulture and so he was showing when john quincy adams was visiting here he was showing him how to graft pear trees and walking through the gardens and things like that so it seems like that was a, a big hobby of him in his retirement years for sure uh, you mentioned a few famous names there <laughs> as people are coming to visit Rose Hill. Can you tell us a little bit more about other notables that would have visited here? Yeah, so we do know in, I want to say 1918, that Mrs. Harding visited, President Harding's wife. He was not president at the time, but she came during, it was during World War One. and there's, you know, some newspaper articles about they ate like a meatless Monday style meal and she refused to eat the sugar cookies because she wanted to support the the war efforts and those things so um, we know she was here we don't have any documentation that Washington came here um, he visited Thomas Johnson at Thomas Johnson's other house uh, along 15 Richfield um, before Thomas Johnson moved here and then while it was a tea room there were several different you know, ambassadors of Washington. It became a time where people liked to leave D.C. and go explore, right? It's the beginning of the cars and, and things. And so um, there was like an ambassador Belgium that came, um, a prince maybe from 
Prussia, something. So yeah, there's a lot of foreign dignitaries that have come at different times as well. Um, but yeah, so that's... Do you have people that volunteer here? We do, yes. So we have a, a lot of special events um, that we have volunteers that come and help out at those special events. And we also have a lot of garden work in several of our gardens on the property. Um, and so we have uh, volunteers that work in the garden. And as part of that, the garden also is part of our council. So we have a, a board of volunteers who do fundraising for us, help you know provide money for initiatives, sponsor field trips, those kinds of things. So it's uh, supported by the county Mm -hmm. uh, but it's also this property in order to keep it in its wonderful state and all needs the help of of other people too yes absolutely yeah Yeah. okay great so donations help go a long way (laughs) yeah now speaking of that is it uh free to come to the museum or is there a charge so there is a charge so it's uh five dollars for adults four dollars for children and four dollars for seniors and then under two are free what are the operating hours when somebody could come to visit so thursday through sunday from 11 to 4 are most uh common hours and that goes from april until the until october Um, And then we switch to weekend hours until the beginning of December, and then we're closed from, except by appointment. So we do some tours. You can call ahead and have a a tour from December to uh, the 1st of April. So are there special times of the year when the house is decorated or has festive kind of things going on? Yeah, so we have uh, several times, probably our most common or famous museums by candlelight and so that leading up to Christmas we have the house decorated um, in traditional Christmas decorations and then some of our special events we also decorate for or puts you know some temporary exhibits in so when we do our spring fling and and egg roll we have some more Easter type decorations in springtime decorations in the in October we do trick-or-treat through history events so we have different historical characters and the kids can go around and trick-or-treat through and so we do a mixture of scene setting for those characters and then through the house we also have some different like Halloween and fall themed decorations as well. That's wonderful. In the whole spectrum of things to you know the evolution of Frederick into the community that it is now where what it what makes uh, Rose Hill a special place in the, the center the heart of the city? Well yeah so it is it's very interesting that today it is part of the city landscape when at at the time it was definitely a country rural estate but being you know a hands-on museum for people and even though it's a children's museum uh, we worked to make it so that whole family and any visitor can enjoy things in every room and so I think for us being able to teach history to children in a way that is going to engage them is our our biggest claim to fame (laughs) (laughs) that's great Um, Well, Amanda, thank you so much for being a guest on Finding Frederick. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. My many thanks to my guest, Amanda Venable. For more information that can help you plan your trip to Rose Hill Manor, call 301-600-1650. That's all for today's episode. Thanks to you for coming along with me to Finding Frederick. I'm Lisa Littlefield. See you next week.